Good morning again, everyone. We are so glad you're here with us today. Everybody connecting with us online, we're so happy you can connect there and be a part of our services. If you are in the local area and can attend in person, we'd love for you to come and see us here. But wherever you're watching from, we have hundreds that watch from all over the country and several other countries as well. We're so glad we can connect with you online like this. We are today finishing up a series called The Promise. Uh, next week, we begin a new series called Breaking Bad Habits. <laughs> Had to pause for just a moment. Uh, it is kind of based on, I got the idea from a television show that I don't recommend, but that uh, we took some graphics that they had used for that and, and they made some graphics for this next series. And the idea is, it's hard to believe, but here it is the day after Christmas, the last Sunday in this year, and we get ready to start a new year this next Sunday. And so we want it to be the best year that it can be. If God grants us another year of life, we want to, to prepare for it and, and, and make it the best. And make the best use of the time that God gives us. It's a, it's a blessing, isn't it? It's a gift to have time granted to us by God. And not everybody uh, is going to be able to enjoy more time on this earth because of their passing this past year. So... Be thankful for every day that we have. But as we prepare and get ready for this next year, I, I went and researched again. I do this every year. The top 10 New Year's resolutions for this coming year that they have so far, okay? The top 10 New Year's resolutions. So I'm going to go through them starting with number 10 and working my way up to number one. I want you to be thinking about what you think is going to be number one, okay? Number 10, read more. Some of you didn't have that anywhere on your list, I know. But some people love to read, and they said, well, I just want to make more time to read. Number nine, travel more. Uh, there are people that, you know, you always think we're going to make that trip. We're going to go on that trip we always wanted to go on, but they don't ever quite get it done. So they have this goal for this year to travel more. Number eight, spend more time with family and friends. Uh, some of you are thinking, I've had all of that I need this Christmas, but some of you are thinking, I didn't get to do that this year like I wanted to, and I'd love to have more time with family and friends. Uh, number seven, this one still makes the list every year, quit smoking. There are still people that are battling with that and uh, want to try to get rid of that uh, habit in their lives, and so they're going to be trying to work on it. Number six, I think it should be higher on the list for most of us. Save more money and spend less money. Now, this is just the day after Christmas. I know that's a hard, some of you are hitting hard right now, right? Uh, to try to save more money and spend less money because you just probably, a lot of us spent more than should have for Christmas. Number five is kind of a general one. I'm not sure how they measured this one, but it just says, live life to the fullest, right? <laughs> that sounds great, but, but what does that mean for you, right? I mean, it, that can be so different for so many different people, what you think living life to the fullest looks like. Uh, number four, learn a new skill or hobby, all right? You keep that learning process going. You learn something new that you didn't know before. I think that's a great goal to have in the upcoming year. Number three, let me see if I can find it here. Where was it? I had it on here. Oh, there it is. Get more organized. <laughs> we need to get more organized. A lot of us need to get more organized, right? We can get more done if we got a little more organized and how we approach things. Uh, that's not my natural tendency. Uh, I have to work hard at that. I've tried to learn to do certain things to be more organized and getting things done. Number two. This is uh, for the last, I don't know how long I've been doing this. I've, this has always been on the list near the top, lose weight. People, you know, they're, they're battling with these weight issues. And, you know, after the holidays, it's hard because we tend to eat more during the celebrations with friends and family. We tend to eat more and we may put on a few pounds. Add to that that we've had almost two years of COVID now, right? And, and uh, people have been less active and, and, you know, about doing things. Not everybody, but a lot of people. And sometimes we put on a little weight and we'd like to lose some weight, which is directly connected to the number one thing this year. Anybody guess what it is? Exercise more. A lot of people connect that with losing weight, right? We're going to be more physically active 
and lose weight. Now, I do want to caution you. There's nothing wrong if you, if you feel like you want to lose a few pounds and all that. But don't, don't be pressured by society's idea of, of what you have to look like or whatever. That's not what it's all about. I want to encourage you to think about just practicing healthy habits. That's more important than focusing just on losing weight or whatever. Just try to live a healthier lifestyle. Uh, and, and, and there's so many ways to do that by being more active, perhaps physically, by getting more sleep, you know, all those things that you can do to have a healthier lifestyle. So focus more on the health side and not just focusing on the weight side. Well, as I think about that list, I think about as we, as we prepare to go into this new year, there's one thing on the list there that I think should have been at the top. It should be at the top every year. It didn't even make the list, not even the top 10. But it's the thing we're focusing on today as we close out this series. We're going to be looking at the story of the birth of Jesus from the viewpoint of Mary. As we see the love of God being displayed through sending this child and Mary being open and receptive to allowing God to use her. I think at the top of the list for all of us, for this coming year, as we finish out this year, it should be to be more an instrument of the love of God to the people around us. That should be number one. Let's become more of an instrument of God's love to the world around us, to the individuals, to the people around us that we have contact with every day. In this series, we've looked at some different characters in the Christmas story. We've looked at it from a lot of different angles. And today, I want us to focus on that, that announcement to Mary and her response to the announcement of what God's plan was to send Jesus into the world. I think we can learn a lot about how she received that and worked through that and, and submitted to that in her life so that God could use her to help bring the love and the hope and the peace all those things we've been focusing on at Advent, how God could bring that hope through Jesus, but God could use her to be an instrument through which he brings those blessings to the world. Maybe we can be an instrument through which God brings those blessings to the world, too, as we learn from Mary. The word nativity, you know, we always talk about how many of you have a nativity scene in your house? You still have it up. It's just a day after Christmas, right? I, we have several at our house as well. I put one out in the yard every year that lights up and all of that. And, you know, I have a, uh, a desire that maybe people will at least think for a moment when they see that, you know, in the busyness of Christmas, maybe they'll think about what it's really all about. But the word nativity simply from the Latin means birth, the birth. And it's talking about, of course, the very special birth, the one that God had planned throughout all the ages, that he had prophesied hundreds of years before, the birth of this one who was coming to be the Messiah, the Deliverer. And, of course, our traditional nativities, they all have a lot of the main characters, right, the, the people that we always have in there. You've got Mary and you've got Joseph, and, and a lot of times you've got shepherds showing up there, you know, at the, at the stable where, where they were, and uh, you've got... Uh, a lot of people have the wise men there, and I've already told you, if you've been around Lakeshore very long, they weren't there. You should move them a little further off to the side because they're just traveling there. They're not there yet when the baby's born that night. They don't show up till much later, and it says they went to the house where they were when they got there. So they had already moved from the stable to a house when the wise men got there. Uh, just a little technicality that preachers just sometimes obsess on, so I just wanted to throw that out again. Uh, we don't put the wise men at the nativity scene at our house, but you can do whatever you want. You can be incorrect all you want. It's fine. Yeah. Uh, we're not going to divide over that as Christ followers, okay? We're, we can have unity and love each other anyway, even though you're wrong. But we can still do that, okay? So when we focus on all that, of course, who's the main character in the nativity scene? It's the baby, right? We've got the little manger there. We've got the little baby in, in the, that's his crib. He's lying in that manger after he's born. That's the place they had to lay him. And uh, it's, it's certainly not what anybody thought, what anybody predicted would be the coming of the Messiah, the King, God come to earth, that he would be born under those conditions was not in anybody's mind there at the time that it happened. But that's the way God chose to bring this baby to the world. And it's one of the most loving things, and that's what I want us to connect with, is the love of God in, in bringing Jesus to us the way he did. 
the, the, the loving manner in which he did it. And I talked about this a little bit already in this series, but I want to focus the first thing today uh, on how we prepare for the birth of something new in our lives too. God prepared through all of history for this baby to be born. But when we've got something new coming up, don't we prepare for it too, usually? Now, we don't always prepare, you know, give ourselves enough time. We don't always get everything done that we need to do. But when something new is about to start, we usually prepare for it. Whether it's the birth of a baby, I, oh, man, I've seen people just go crazy preparing for the birth of a baby. They, they spend so much money and they, they decorate the room and they've got everything exactly the way they want it. And, you know, there's tension if you don't have everything finished in time and you got to get it all ready because this baby's coming. And, and when it comes, you, need to, you don't need to have to get it ready then. You need to have it ready before the baby gets there, right? So you want to get it all done, and there's a lot of preparation involved for it. Uh, and it's not just a baby, though. I mean, think about other things in your life that you know are new, that are coming up, that you prepare for. You're starting a new job. Don't you do a little preparation for that? You try to prepare for it the best you can. You can't always know everything you, gotta, you need to prepare for for a new job, but you know some things, so you try to get yourself ready for it. Starting a new school, you, you, uh, the parents usually will help prepare, but you know the kids don't always think about that. But, but you try to do some preparation. If your kids are starting a new school, you want to get them off to a good start at that new school that they're going to. Starting a new your exercise class, right? You signed up to go to the gym, so you probably went out and bought, you ladies especially, some of you guys too, some new outfit you're going to wear that first day, you know, to the gym so you can look like you know what you're doing even when you don't, you know, you don't want to look like you don't fit in there at the gym. So you, you can try to get the right clothes, the right stuff that you take with you to the gym for that first time. You don't want to stand out like a sore thumb there. I mean, with every new thing in our lives, we tend to prepare for it. We, we go through this process of getting ready for it. And as we finish this series, what we're doing now is we've, we've celebrated this preparation and the fulfillment of that preparation for Jesus to come. But we need to remember all of that preparation was not just to have the baby born that night and then that was going to be it. I mean, the preparation was for far beyond that night when the baby was born. The preparation was for everything connected to and involved in the arrival of this child, which was going to impact not just that night and not just the shepherds that showed up and the wise men who didn't get there till later. It wasn't just preparing for them. It was preparing for all the ages, for all eternity, when this child came into the world that night. And it was through Mary and Joseph that God had, had done this great thing. He had, he had worked to, in time and history and, 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 and their lives. He had led them to that place where they could be used for this purpose that he had been preparing for that whole time. Part of that preparation was Mary, this young lady that was going to be used by God in this special way. Way back in Isaiah, the prophet in Isaiah chapter 7, in verse 14, it was a wonderful messianic prophecy of the coming of the Messiah. And it says this, Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. So when God says he's going to give you a sign, you should understand he's doing it with a reason, it's a purpose, it's part of his preparation for what he's going to be doing is he's going to give you a sign ahead of time, okay? The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son and will call him Emmanuel. Now, there's a whole lot in that one verse. God's giving you a sign. Now, signs, remember, have a purpose. God doesn't just give a sign without reason. He's giving you a sign so you'll notice, so you'll pay attention, so you'll, you'll, you'll be aware of it. Uh, it's like we, we posted we're only going to have the 9 o'clock service here at Lakeshore today. I can assure you some people will show up at 11 for an 11 o'clock service today. Now, we, we put it on the website. We pull it in a bulletin for weeks. We announced it in the services and on video several weeks in advance. 
here's your sign, right? So after this service, we're going to put a sign on the door for those people who will for sure show up for an 11 o'clock service saying, no 11 o'clock service today. And I'd like to say more, but the Holy Spirit, <laughs> the Holy Spirit just pulls me back. Won't let me say all the stuff, you know, that, that you'd like to say. You guys showed up, though, at 9 o'clock. Good job, guys. You got the sign. It did the thing we wanted it to do. You paid attention, and you were prepared, and you were here at the right time because you paid attention to the sign. And God's given us a sign, he says, way back in Isaiah. Here's your sign. And it's a powerful sign. A virgin is going to conceive and give birth to a son. Never happened before. Never happened since. I don't care how that teenage daughter tried to explain it to you. It's never happened since. Right? One time in all of history, this is happening. It's an amazing sign. It is a miracle for sure that a virgin would conceive and give birth to a son. But over 800 years before it happens, Isaiah speaks directly to this as a sign that this child's going to be different. Listen, give birth to a son and we'll call him the name is so important. Call him, what's the name? Emmanuel. You know what that means. You probably have a footnote in your Bible if you're looking at it right now. God with us. This child is going to be God come to earth to be with us in the flesh. Here's your sign. Here's how it's going to happen. Pay attention to it because it changes everything for everybody forever when this happens. So God has, has been preparing this, and he's been making sure that people were looking for the sign. He wanted them to be aware of how this was going to happen so that they could live with this expectancy of what was coming. Doesn't it change how you feel, how you live, the attitude that you have when you know something good is coming? It changes, doesn't it, your perspective on all of life. Something good is just around the corner. Something good is just down the road. Uh, it, it's amazing how it changes. Even the hard thing that you're going through maybe right now, and, and your perspective on that hard thing is totally different when you know that there will be a time on the other side of that hard thing when something really good is waiting on you over there. Man, that's a great thing. Whether it's an illness or, or loss, death, whatever it is, if you know you can count on something good on the other side, it changes your whole life. And God wanted his people to live expectantly until they saw this happen. Something that he promised was going to happen that they could count on, that they could know for sure. We can live with this expectation so we can be preparing for this along with God. Because with this announcement comes the preparation of his people to get ready for the coming of the Messiah. As it gets closer to the time, God and his preparations had already handpicked the young lady through whom this child would be born. That Isaiah spoke of, this virgin that would conceive and give a son. Uh, and we see references to it in many passages. I want to look at Luke's account now. Let's turn over to the Gospel of Luke, chapter 1, and verse 26. If you've been here in this series, we looked at Elizabeth and Zechariah and how God miraculously gave them a child. Uh, she was six months ahead of this announcement to Mary uh, in her pregnancy, Elizabeth was. And uh, this was going to be John the Baptist, as he was known later, who prepared the way for Jesus. But now he, he comes to, to uh, Mary in verse 26. In the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee. So who do we see showing up again? Which angel? Gabriel, right? We, we only know a, a couple of angel names in Scripture, and Gabriel is one of them. And Gabriel is very involved in what we would call the Christmas story. He comes to, the, to Mary. To, it says in verse 27, 
to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. Now, right in that verse, all along, there's several prophecies fulfilled right there. Right? Remember Isaiah said a virgin would conceive? And this is the virgin that he had planned all along. He had had worked through all of history, working out, connecting all the dots so that Mary would be there at that time and prepared and ready. And she's kept herself pure as God's word has taught her to do. She's been raised to know that and believe that and follow that. She's been obedient to God and her young life now. She's probably, most scholars believe, a teenager still at this time. And she's kept herself pure and open to God in her life. So God knows I've got this this young lady ready. She's prepared to be used by me by being obedient to what I've asked her to do with her life. She's prepared to be used by me in a great way. But there's more prophecy fulfilled here. Uh, This Nazareth, this town, uh, the prophecies that the Messiah would be a Nazarene, right, from that area of the world. And then... That this family, that this virgin pledged to a man named Joseph, Joseph is a descendant of David. Guess what? The prophet said it would be in whose line that this Messiah would come. David's line. Through the generations from David, this child was going to come. Now, Mary's family was from that line as well. So you have this fulfillment of all of these prophecies taking place right here. Isn't it great how when God orchestrates and plans things, uh, nothing's going to thwart God's plans. (laughs) He he has the ability to know and work and accomplish exactly every detail of what he promises he's going to do. And the world, as much as they try, cannot stop God's promises from coming true. And so we've got this, this event where where he's, he's going to fulfill this promise, this planning that he's been doing. So it goes on, verse 28, the angel went to her and said, greetings, you who are highly favored, the Lord is with you. Now, I like the way the angel says it to Mary this time. Remember the other occasions we've seen the angels, what was the first thing they said? Don't be afraid. This angel starts out differently, doesn't he? He says, greetings, you who are highly favored. So right away, what he's doing for Mary is letting Mary know, this is a good visit too. I'm here with good, you have been seen as a young lady that is highly favored by God. Isn't that a great place to be in your life? A person who's highly favored by the God of the universe, the creator and sustainer of all things. Wouldn't you like to be in that place in your life where you're standing with him is that you are highly favored by God. Now, why is Mary so highly favored by God? Well, you see it in the rest of the story. You see it already in the beginning of the story. She's been living in a way that honors God and the word of God and the teachings of God. That's how you're highly favored with God. It doesn't mean nothing bad's going to happen because you're highly favored to God, but it's a great place to be even when bad things happen, isn't it? To be favored by God, highly favored by God. We need to connect the dots, don't we? As we think about preparing for tomorrow, the rest of the day, for the new year, isn't it more important that we make sure, not that we lose weight or quit smoking or whatever, but that we are highly favored by God because we're living in a way that honors Him? Wouldn't that be more important than anything else on the list for the new year? Let's get ourselves in that place. Let's become those people for the new year that are highly favored by God. Then then let's look more, okay? Verse 29. Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. I, I love the way the NIV says greatly troubled. It's a phrase that's hard to translate into English. Uh, perplexed might be another good word we might try to use. She's really perplexed by this. She, she's trying to, in her own human mind, reason out and understand exactly what this angel just said to her was going to happen. Okay? Uh, You found favor with God. So what does that mean? I'm not sure exactly what you're talking about here. So it goes on. The angel said to her, 
Now, he says, do not be afraid, Mary. You found favor with God. And then he adds this. You will conceive and give birth to a son. And you are to call him Jesus. He'll be great. He'll be called the son of the most high. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father, David. See that lineage that was prophesied. And he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. That's a mouthful in one proclamation, isn't it? Something that's never happened before. Something that nobody would think could happen ever in their lives. And we learn a lot about Mary, right, in this story. Not only has she lived in a way that honored God, but she's got plans already for her life, doesn't she? She's already engaged to be married to Joseph. Now, in their culture, engagements were serious business. They were almost, they were in a way, a legal contract, spiritually speaking, between the man's family and the woman's family, that they were already pledged to each other to be married. It was a binding contract type of thing that they had agreed that this was going to take place. And so she's got a life plan. And what she's done with her life plan She's got the wedding prepared, probably, the idea of when they were going to get married and all that. The families are excited. They're getting ready for all that, making all the preparations that come with that. Because they thought, and Mary thought, this is what God wants for my life. This is the way my life's going to go. You know, we all have ideas of what we think our lives are going to be like or what they ought to be like, don't we? We, we have our plans even if we don't write them down, even if they're not formalized, we have in our minds these ideas, these plans of how we think our life. How many of you, your lives have gone exactly like you thought when you were younger? Anybody? Yeah, not mine either. Okay. I honestly never thought growing up about being a preacher ever, not even once did I think that was God's plan for my life. Uh, and God, you know, he has fun with that stuff. So, uh, we, we think we've got this idea of who we're going to be, what we're going to do, how it's all going to go. And a lot of times it just doesn't. Now, sometimes it goes along like, like you think, but so many times it's different. There are curves and there's hills and valleys and all these different things you've got to go through. And, but here's the thing. Mary had all this planned out. She thought she knew what her life was going to be like. She was excited. She kept herself pure for marriage. She was ready to enter into that marriage the right way. And bam, everything. And one visit from an angel changes everything about her plans completely. That leads to the second thing I want us to focus on today, and that's this. <laughs> when God shows up in our lives, our lives are disrupted every single time. Every time God shows up, it disrupts our lives big time. Even when we don't want it, even when we're not looking for it, even when we didn't plan on it, that's why it is a disruption. Can you imagine how disrupting this was in Mary's mind that all of a sudden everything she had planned, there's, there's something that's just been announced to her from, by an angel from God himself that changes every single thing she had planned about her life. And she has no idea how this is all going to work out when this announcement is made. She has no idea all the detailed preparations God already has there for her for the next days and weeks and months ahead. She doesn't know that God hasn't given her all that information yet. So in her mind, she's trying to work through this disruption to everything she thought her life was going to be like. And it's not just her plans that are disrupted. Think about Joseph. He's got plans too. He's, uh, he's planning to marry this young lady. The families are all in on it. You know, they all know what's going on. His friends all know, you know, he's got this beautiful bride that he's engaged to and they're planning to get married. They all know that. And now all of a sudden Mary has to go to him and try to explain what in the world's going on. Now Mary has no clue that in God's plan he's already got an angel lined up to go talk to Joseph and try to get him on board. She doesn't know all that yet. Right? This is a total disruption for her. She doesn't know everything God is going to do in the next moments ahead here. So here's what we have to know. If we're, 
if we're truly going ahead with our lives with this idea that we want to be instruments of God's love to the world, to the people around us that God allows us to have contact with, then we have to be open to having our lives disrupted. Because you may have a plan on how you think that ought to look and how it ought to be played out. But this is not your plan to change the world. Whose plan is it? It should be God's plan that you're submitting to for your life. See, that's what it means to become a disciple of Jesus, is you surrender your plans to his plans. That's part of what it means to be a disciple. You've got plans. There's nothing wrong with having plans. It's okay. God, the Bible teaches us to make plans. It's not a bad thing. But understand that as we make plans, they always need to be subservient to whatever God's plan is. And his plans will often disrupt our plans. His plans will often look quite different than our plan looked. So this was a disruption for Mary. It was a disruption for, for Joseph. It was a disruption for their families, right? They've got friends that they've, uh, they've made this announcement about the marriage, about the engagement. They've got friends now that are going to find out Mary's pregnant and they're not married yet. And in that culture, it was totally opposed to the teaching of God's word. And, and they knew it and they knew it was going to be hard to, to deal with those family and friends and extended acquaintances that they had that were all going to look at this differently than what God had told Mary. What a disruption to their lives. And it's not just Mary and Joseph and their families and their friends. It's, it's more than that. It's a disruption for Herod. <laughs> it's going to become a huge disruption for him. And you see, that's all part of God's plan too. That's all part of the prophecy. Herod, the reigning king at that time there in that area for the Jews, Herod is going to hear news of this child that's going to be born that they say is going to be king of the Jews. And he's going to be disrupted by that news because he thinks his line only should be ruling. Not somebody else's line. Not somebody else's family. He sees this child, the announcement of this child is a threat to him and his family line. It disrupted his life completely. And it's not just Herod because Herod's under the authority of Rome. It even goes to Caesar's being disrupted before this is all done by the plan of God and the announcement of this plan. Because even Rome itself is going to have to deal with this child when this child is born. Because they have to deal with Herod and they have to deal with the Jews that they ruled over. And it's going to disrupt them too. You see, when God intervenes, it disrupts our lives. But if we're going to let God use us for his purposes, we have to be open to what? Disruption. We have to be open to not getting our way all the time, not having it go the way we think it ought to go, happen the way we think it ought to happen, and the timing we think it ought to happen. We have to be open to the disruption of God's plan if we're going to fulfill, allow God to fulfill his plan in us and use us in that plan. So you've got two things to do with disruptions. You've got two choices. You could try to avoid it and act like it's not there, or you can embrace it. One of the two. You either avoid the disruption and ignore it. You know, for a little while when God was calling me into the ministry, I tried to ignore it. I tried to act like I wasn't feeling that. I started looking for other jobs that I thought, well, I had a job, but I was feeling discontented. I know that was God working on me. He wanted me to feel discontented. So I started looking for other jobs, other things to do. And I even went to another city and looked for a job there and had opportunities to go. To, and, and nothing worked out exactly the way I wanted it to. And it was all because God was directing things a different direction. And I needed to stop avoiding that and embrace what God was doing. Only then can you have any real contentment in your life is when you embrace the disruption of God in your life. Let him have his way. And again, it doesn't mean it's all going to be smooth when you do that. When I was called into ministry, I was already married. Sue Ann and I were already married. She didn't want to marry a preacher. God's got a great sense of humor, right? So, so he gets us together and he gets us married because God knew full well I was going to need her if I was going to be a pastor. 
Because I wasn't raised in church. I had not gone to church camps. I had not done any of that stuff most pastors do that just lead them right into the ministry. I had none of that in my life. I needed somebody who knew that perspective too. And a pastor's daughter, all right, her whole life, God knew I needed that for this disruption in my life. And so he worked that all out. He tricked her into marrying me. I love it. That's the best part of this disruption, right? But then through her and her family's influence and help, I was able to transition into a different life than I'd ever known. And I allowed God to use me in that life. And it doesn't mean everything went well. It hasn't. But, but God still had a plan. And it caused disruption. And when you submit to the disruption in your life, God uses it in some great ways. Some of you have dealt with some things that you never planned for your life and never would have planned for your life. You didn't ever want that to be part of your life. I know that. I know some of your stories. I know some of the heartaches and losses that you felt, struggles that you've gone through. And you never would have in a million years wished that on your life or somebody else's, but it happened. But maybe there's a different perspective we need to have on those things. Maybe God has allowed those things and he put them into a plan where he knew they were going to happen. And now he can use those things if you submit to his plan. He can use you and those experiences to make a difference in the world today that you couldn't have made without having gone through some of those things. You can minister to some people, encourage some people, comfort some people that otherwise you'd have had no concept of how to do that, having not gone through some of those things. It doesn't mean it was easy and that God took joy in you suffering. That's not it at all. It's that the Bible reminds us over and over again that he can work all things together for our good when we're called according to his purposes. All things means all things, right? Even those really hard, bad things that we've gone through. He is so powerful as God that he can even weave a plan that allows us to use those things for some good moving forward. Isn't that amazing? The way he weaves things together, even the bad things, with a plan and a purpose moving forward for good. It could be a new job. It could be a job loss. It could be the loss of, uh, of someone that, that you love very much. Maybe a relationship that hit a dead end and it was broken off. Maybe there's, there's a need around you that keeps nagging at you. Sometimes we have people in church that'll say, you know, I see these needs out there and the church ought to be do so, doing something about that. And I always come back with this next statement. Well, you are the church. Maybe God's put that on your heart and mind for a reason. Maybe he's calling you to do something about that. You see, when something's pressing on you like that, maybe that's the Spirit of God nudging you along to say, hey, I, I know you can, you can make a difference in that area because you're so passionate about it already. I see people here that are so passionate about young people. They want young people to have God's plan and God's blessing and, and they want to see them be obedient to God. Well, if you really feel strongly about that, maybe God could use you in children's ministry, youth ministry in some way. You know, you could, you could use your time and effort or resources there. Whatever it is that God puts on your heart or your mind, right? Maybe it's there because he's nudging you that in his plan for your life, he, he prepared you to be able to make a difference in that area. So you could take that step, get involved, make the difference that God planned for you to make. Let's look at how Mary responds first in verse 34. She says, how can this be, Mary asked the angel, since I'm a virgin? That would be my first question. Wouldn't it be yours, right? Uh, how could this happen? Now, sometimes you forget who you're talking to, right? Sometimes you, she, she for a moment forgot maybe or just didn't really connect the dots. I'm talking to, to Gabriel here who just came from God's presence to tell me this. But she's still thinking from a human perspective, this, this can't be possible since I'm a virgin. I, I, there's no way I can be conceiving a baby this way. So, so how could this possibly happen? She immediately, and I don't think she was thinking of it this way, but we might look at it this way. The first thing in her mind and her response is an excuse as to why this can't happen. Right? Isn't that what that is? It's an excuse 
as to why she couldn't possibly be having a baby. Now, the excuse even, listen to, listen to this excuse. I've been obedient to God. That's why this can't happen. That makes no sense, right? I've been obedient to God. I've lived my life to honor God. And that's why I can't be doing this. That's why this can't happen to me. You see, when you think through it, the excuse is totally invalid, isn't it? I've been obedient to God, and God says this is going to happen. So it can't be that because I've been obedient, this can't happen. That, that can't be the right answer, can it? That excuse just doesn't float. Not if this is from God, and I'm simply being obedient to God. That excuse doesn't stand up. But we all have what I like to call, number three on your outline, new birth excuses. Why something new can't happen in our lives. We've all got some new birth excuses. I want to speak to a few of those for a minute. There's no way God can save my marriage because it's too far gone. Boy, as a pastor, I've heard that a lot. And sometimes a marriage can't be saved because both parties aren't willing to submit to God. And I understand that. And God is certainly in his grace and mercy you know, when marriages fail, he can certainly forgive and restore and give new life. That's not what I'm talking about here. He can do all of those things. But sometimes we make an excuse on the front end that is not valid. You see, if both parties are willing to submit to God and seek God and repent and change as God would want them to change, I don't think any marriage is too far gone for God. Not as powerful as he is. Not as amazing as he is. We've got some living testimony to it at Lakeshore. Marriages that the world would have said they're too far gone. That I would have said from a human perspective were too far gone. That God has healed and restored. But we make the excuse on the front end instead of allowing God to do what only God can do. Without even giving him a chance to do what he says he can do sometimes. Always say things like this. There's no way God could love me. I've just messed up too badly, too, made too many mistakes, hurt too many people, failed too many times. It's an invalid excuse. You know, I can't have a new life because I've messed up so bad up, up to this point. <laughs> That's the whole point of the cross, friends. That's the whole point of the cross. It's no matter how bad you messed up, he's paid for it already. You can be made new. You can have new life in Christ. That's the whole point of the gospel. Nothing is too great for the power of the blood of Jesus. I always say things like, I, I can never see my relationship with my son or daughter restored. We've just, you know, that relationship has been broken for years and we don't even talk to each other. I don't see any way for that to be healed. We, it goes on and on. The list goes on and on. I don't know any way I could ever get clean and stay sober. You know, I just, I've battled this addiction and it's so strong and I've, I failed over and over again. I've tried as hard as I could try and I just don't think it can, I can do it. All these new birth excuses that we make. And in all of those new birth excuses, what we're doing is saying to God, you're not powerful enough to do what you promise you can do. That's all those excuses are. You're not powerful enough, God, to do this new work that you say you can do. But I want you to see how the angel responded to Mary's excuse. Verse 35. The angel answered, the Holy Spirit will come on you. The power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. Even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age. She who was said to be unable to conceive is in her sixth month. For no word from God will ever, what? Fail. <laughs> how many words from God are going to fail? None. He even gives her added evidence, right? Your relative Elizabeth is already pregnant now six months along. God's giving you the, the encouragement. He's giving you the, the evidence and the testimony. He sent you an angel. He's got, he, he has this, this birth coming to, to Elizabeth and Zechariah. He, he's showing you what he can do. Don't limit God ever. This is, he said, I love it. This is the most 
high God. And it's his spirit that's going to overshadow you. And he says it as a fact. The Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. Not if you obey, not if you cooperate. He says this is going to happen. It's a deal that's been done and sealed already. Quit making excuses, Mary. This is going to be done by the power of the Most High God. And this nativity, this birth, changed the world forever. You see, Mary didn't just respond with excuses. Her next response is found in verse 38. This is what she said next. After being reminded that no word from God would ever fail, she said, I am the Lord's servant. May your word to me be fulfilled. And the angel left her. Now, again, in the original language, that phrase, may your word be fulfilled, it means she's saying, I'm surrendered to what is going to happen here. It is going to be fulfilled in me. Instead of excuses, God was looking for surrender, for obedience. And friends, in your life and in mine, our first tendency may be to make excuses, but God's looking for something else. He's looking for surrender. He's looking for obedience. And he's looking for us to stop putting limits on him because he has no limits. We need to stop putting limits on God and what God can do. Now, we don't need to tell God what he ought to do. We're not in that position. We don't have that authority. And we don't need to say to God, uh, this is the way it needs to happen. No, that's, that's up to him. That's not surrender. Surrender is, God, you're the one in charge here, not me. So I'm going to be obedient to whatever it is you're wanting to do here. And however you want to do it, in the timing that you want to do it in, I'm surrendering to the whole plan you have, God. Because here's the last thing today I want you to see. When we submit to God, his promises can be fulfilled in us and through us. When we surrender, his promises to us can be fulfilled, not only in us, but through us. In other words, we put ourselves then in a position where we find favor with God. And when we find favor with God, then God can use us for his plan and purposes, not just for us, but for how he wants us to impact others too. How we can be influential in the world picture of what God is wanting to do in the world. How God can use us in his plan to redeem the world back to him again. It all boils down to that submission, that surrender. Well, in Luke chapter 2, beginning in verse 1, you know this story. It says, In those days Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world. Oh, disruption, disruption. This was the first census that took place while Quirinius was governor of Syria. Everyone went to their own town to register. Joseph went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea to Bethlehem. Oh, wait a minute. More prophecy. The baby was going to be born in what city? Bethlehem. Oh, all of the known world at that time under the Roman rule is disrupted by this taxation, the census that was being taken for taxation purposes, and it meant they had to go back to their town of ancestry, which was the town of David is what Bethlehem is. They have to go back to Bethlehem to register for all of the disruptions that God was using to bring about this great blessing to the world. <laughs> While they were there, the time came for the baby to be born. And she gave birth to her firstborn, a son. She wrapped him in, a in cloths and placed him in a manger because there was no guest room available for them. Imagine that. She conceived by the Holy Spirit. God moved them over to Bethlehem at the time of the birth. He fulfilled all the prophecies and all the plan and every detail of the plan that he had made before the foundation of the world. And he brings it all about because Mary and Joseph, both of them were willing to surrender their wills to the will and the plan of God in their lives, even with all the disruptions that it would bring. And I've only touched and scratched the surface of the dis disruption that it brought to their lives. See, for the rest of their lives, everything was going to be different than what they had planned. 
Their whole lives were going to be different from then on. But it was going to be different in the best way. Different in the way where things, God's going to be able to use them to impact the world in ways they could never have done before all of these disruptions happened in their lives. And as we prepare to move into this next year, I want to challenge all of us to think through exactly how we could be more submissive and surrendering our wills to God's wills so that he can have his way in us and accomplish the things he's planned for our lives. I love what author uh, and pastor Max Locato said. Uh, he, he got it from somewhere else, but I love, I, I love to repeat this every Christmas. It says this, if our greatest need had been information, God would have sent us an educator. If our greatest need had been technology, God would have sent us a scientist. If our greatest need had been money, God would have sent us an economist. If our greatest need had been pleasure God would have sent us an entertainer but our greatest need was forgiveness so God sent us a savior well guess what the world's greatest need still is a savior and in his plan he planned for people who would follow Jesus to be disciples of Jesus who would go and make more disciples of Jesus you see, his plan includes you and me, the church, helping people find their way to the Savior, come to know the Savior, have their lives changed forever for the better through the Savior. So the biggest New Year's commitment I think we can make, New Year's resolution is this. God, this year, this day, every day you give me, Help me surrender to your plan to help other people find Jesus through me. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you. We thank you that as we close out this year, get ready for the next year coming, as you allow us to have that time, Father, we want it to be time that's redeemed for you, for your plan, for your purposes. Whatever disruption that means for us, Father, we need to be willing to surrender. Help us with that. We struggle with surrender. We struggle with with, with letting go of what we think ought to be and allowing you to have your way. But Father, help us. Let your spirit empower us and guide us through your word to the obedience that puts us in a place where we can find your favor as we walk in that obedience. Father, we thank you for your grace and your mercy and your forgiveness where we have failed in those areas of our lives. We know your grace is more than enough. And I thank you that right now, anyone who would come to you could find that grace and that forgiveness and that mercy that you offer so freely through your son. I pray that if anyone today needs to come to know that forgiveness through Jesus, they would take those steps today. But I pray that those of us who have already tasted that and your plan for our lives, that we would understand more than ever that you want to use us to help others find that too. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.